So today in week two, um, I want to explain to you the significance of the origin of the church. Um, how many of you remember uh, Sunday school? Anybody ever go to Sunday school years ago? Okay. Um, you might remember, how many of you were in a classroom that had the little felt board and the cool little characters? That was so awesome. And it was kind of satisfying when they like peeled off and that kind of thing. I remember attending Sunday school. Uh, we were at church every time the doors were open. Uh, the joke in my family is that uh, my mother had to go to church and then she went to the hospital to have me. She, she couldn't miss church that day. She went to church. I was born on a Monday morning, thank God, um, not Sunday, so she could still get to church. But um, so I've been there and done that. And in the Sunday school lessons, they talk about the gathering of the people of God. They talk about them going through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. They talk about the great men and women of old, judges, kings, people that led the people of Israel, those leaders, and talked about how those people kept gathering together to worship God. You find out, though, very quick in the story of the Bible that there were some crazy people in the mix. There's always some crazy people in the mix. Doesn't matter what church you go to. There's always at least one, but sometimes more than one, crazy person. Now, I say that just being funny and as a joke, but back in those days, what they were doing is they were literally disobeying God and leading others to do so. They were worshiping other gods, false gods. They were doing all kinds of crazy things. God had just delivered them from Egypt and from the slavery that they were in, and they find themselves literally being led by the hand of God through the desert, and here as they go... Moses departs to go listen to God and get the law, and he comes back to find them worshiping a golden cow. They were bound and determined, the crazy ones among them, were bound and determined to lead others astray. So here's what I'm going to tell you. My take on the church is this. She's beautiful, but at times she's very ugly. I say that as a seasoned believer, as a pastor's kid, as a pastor... Uh, the church of Jesus Christ is a beautiful thing. It's a living organization. It's a wonderful thing. But because people are involved, it's not perfect. It can be messy. It can have divisions and strife and challenges. So today I want to talk to you about the origin of the church and how it came to be. And don't think that I'm going to go to Acts, which a lot of people would do. We're going to go even further back than that. Um, listen, today's number two um, message, and next week on the third week of the series, my lovely bride is going to be sharing a word of passion and heart about the church in our series. So don't miss it. It's going to be wonderful. The title of today's message is this, very interesting, The Survival of the Seed. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, if you're familiar, we've talked about it somewhat recent in light of Christmas, in light of Revelation, uh, the series that we just came out of not too long before. We've talked through Genesis quite a bit, but I want to remind you what chapter 3 verse 14 and 15 say. 
if you're familiar with the story, Adam and Eve are created by God. They're put in the garden. They're told not to do something. They choose to do that thing they're told not to do and disobey God. And as a result, they receive a curse. The entity, listen to me closely, the entity that led them into sin to disobey receives a curse. The earth receives a curse. Everything is broken now because of this. So in the midst of the curse being given to the serpent, it says this in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity. That word means uh, strife, tension, uh, aggravation, war, battle. It's that sort of idea. I will put animosity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. This is an interesting place to start talking about the origin of the church because most of us as believers would consider Acts chapter 2 to be the historical birth of the church. And you're not wrong. I'm, I'm not wrong in believing and understanding that. If you read Acts 2, and we'll do so later in our series, uh, what it tells you is that as Jesus departed, he gave the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came... The, it helped change, oh man, I hope you listen to me today. It helped change the character of a man who once was lost, but now has been found and actually slipped up along the way, but now is empowered by the Holy Spirit to declare the good things of God. And thousands of people got saved. The Holy Spirit is the missing ingredient in many, many Christians' lives. But the roots of that living organism called the church began in eternity past. I want you to understand, God is not wringing his hands about the, I'm trying to think of things that, uh, you know, are normal to us as humans, like the fender bender or the bad grade or the, he's not up there going, oh no, what should we do now? He's, he, that is not the image that you should have of God. He knows all things, amen, from eternity, and he knows all possible outcomes. I think sometimes we start losing faith because our feelings get in the way, because we've lost sight of his work, but faith is not based on your sight, amen? So the roots of the church began in eternity past. I want you to engage your imagination with me for just a minute. Close your eyes and just imagine this, the throne room of God. Can you see it? Just nod at me because your eyes are closed. <laughs> imagine in the throne room of God, the Trinity has gathered together and they are having a planning meeting for a new project that they've decided to do. You can open your eyes. You don't have to fall asleep. I don't want you to fall asleep. Uh, imagine this, though, that the Father plans and says, you know, I'm going to create a planet called Earth, and there will be a special creation on that planet that will mirror me. Those inhabitants of the Earth, we'll call them humans and 
He then plans the redemption of mankind because he knows they are going to botch it up. He then says to the Son, the Trinity is there, Father, Son, Spirit. He then says to the Son, I'm going to send you down to save our people from their sins. And when the Son accomplishes that through the work on the cross, and the writer of Hebrews says it like this, through his obedience even unto death, don't you wish your kids would obey, not to death, but like that they would obey you regardless, right? But when he accomplishes this, the Father tells him, I'm going to reward you and make you the heir of all things. Then the Father and Son together conspire to commit and send the Holy Spirit to the people, to that creation, so that He, the Holy Spirit, would testify to the Son and apply the redemption from the cross to the heart spiritually of every person who calls upon the name of the Lord. And when that happens, He makes them. The Bible says He is the seal on us that makes us become heirs with Christ. He literally converts us from having been lost to now be found because we've believed on Jesus and decided to walk in that way. Then the Holy Spirit, he says, you know what, while I'm down there and I'm going to stay there until you come back, but I'm down there, I'm going to give them gifts. I'm going to give them gifts so that they can bless one another, that they can enlarge the kingdom of God on the earth, that they will help establish the church. I'm going to give them all kinds of awesome gifts. And the people who are believers, the active participants in God's grace, those are called the church. God was not up there going, oh no, now, now that Jesus is dead, what are we going to do? It's, that's not how he plans or how he worked. So if that is true, and if, if that sounds kind of really almost moronic for me to put it like that, if that is true, then you had better sharpen up the way that you pray to that God. Because we pray like we've been forgotten. It's okay. I'm just going to preach to myself for a minute. <laughs> we pray like we've been forgotten. Like God doesn't care. That He's not paying attention. That He doesn't know the strife at your work or the issue in your marriage or the problem with your kids or the lack in your bank or the whatever it is you face. We act like He doesn't see that, but He does. And He's a magnificent planner. And let me tell you, the plan of God always prevails. So, during the Christmas season, we connected Genesis chapter 3 obviously, to the Messiah. Because we understand that there's this individual component that is talked about there, and we, now with the gift of all of the Bible and all of the history, can look and say, whoa, that's amazing that he was prophesied even then. But there's another level there that I think we need to look at. If you look again at 3.15, you'll notice something interesting that you might not have picked up on, and that is the serpent has offspring as well. 
So the seed of the woman in enmity or contention or uh, animosity towards the seed of the serpent, I want to tell you there are three different aspects of these seeds. The aspects are this. Both of those seeds in Genesis 3, 14, and 15 refer to an individual. Jesus, the Messiah, is the individual that it's referencing. The serpent, we're not talking about a physical snake in the garden. We can talk about that some other day. We're talking about a spiritual enemy who rebelled against God and wants others to rebel against God. That's an individual entity. But then we're talking about collective. We're talking about the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David. We're talking about all that good stuff. But then we're also collectively, we have to recognize that the devil still has offspring. You say, oh, I know. It's my boss's name. <laughs> you know, whatever. Don't, don't, don't think about it like that in those terms. Here's what I want you to understand. He's still reproducing. When you've invited somebody to come to church or to come to faith that you've led somebody to the Lord, the kingdom of God is expanded. And that's amazing. When someone else entices another to involve themselves in sin and you say, oh, you're talking about like murder and all that. No, I'm talking about stuff like gossip. Okay. When you entice someone else to sin... What ends up happening is you're behaving like the devil. You say, well, pastor, but I'm not an offspring of the devil. They're out there, though. There's a lot of them. They happen to be on these little things that we call phones, but they also are on bigger screens in our homes. They're on the radio frequency that we listen to. They're media. They're politicians. It doesn't matter. And it's not just the drug addict on the street in Jackson that's homeless that you can look at that maybe has committed a few crimes. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the enemy is cunning and very, very sharp. And he's got his players in some of the top positions. Collectively, they're still reproducing more and more. And then we're talking, obviously, about that third layer, which is a spiritual layer. It's not just a snake and a woman. It's not just the baby against the baby. It is more than that collectively. And we're not children of Israel. I don't think any of us in here are Jewish. Anybody in here part Jewish? Maybe? (laughs) Um, It's like, no, you're not. Um, So we're all Gentiles in this room. So we're not talking just by biography or DNA. We're talking about a spiritual layer. So the serpent seed had the individual aspect, the enemy himself, the collective, and the spiritual. And the same thing is true of the woman's offspring. The savior of the world is the individual that's referenced. But also collectively, the spiritual aspect of the woman's offspring, you are it. That's what's really amazing about this. So throughout the Bible, there's a lot of demonstrations of this conflict that happen uh, between the righteous and the unrighteous, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Let me show you a few. The next chapter, Genesis 4. Go there and read it. If you're not familiar, you can read it on your own time. It's the story of Cain and Abel. 
Cain murdered his brother, Abel, and the Bible says later, and we'll read it in a moment, but it says that he did that because he was inspired by, and he followed the father, his father, his true father, spiritual father, the devil. Genesis 17 and 18, these are references you could read this week. It tells us the promise of uh, God to Abraham, the covenant that's given, and Abraham is walked by God out of his tent at night, and he says to him, look up at the stars, try and give them a count. Try, try to count them. You can't count them. That's how many descendants you're going to have. You say, well, pastor, this is obviously about Jewish people. Abraham's descendants are all Jewish. Yes, but there's that third layer of the spiritual collective that we are still part of. Our father is Abraham, even though we're not Jewish. Amen? Because of his faith and because our faith in the same God. So here's the contention, though, in Genesis 17. we Great, we hear the promise. But then something horrible happens. And the devil gets in there, and all of a sudden there is another one in contention to the promise of God. Then we see the people of God go into um, Egypt being enslaved. You can read about that more in Exodus. Um, You can read about that there. And it says that they were enslaved, but God delivered them. He delivered them and always brought them out. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, that's on your screen, this is where God gives a covenant to David. He says to David, I will do these three things. Listen, I'm telling you, this is powerful. All of them relate to the family of God. He says to David, I'll build you a house that will not fall. I will build you a kingdom that will not end. And I will build you an eternal throne. This is not just about the Jews. Now, if you've ever heard me speak before or preach about our Jewish roots and our faith, you understand, I don't disregard Israel. You've heard even me make clear statements about the political issue of Israel and the Middle East and that kind of stuff. I've said those things to help lead you in the way of truth. Here's what I'm telling you. God has a special place in his heart for his Jewish people, because those are his chosen people. But the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we have now become part of the chosen. This is good news. Good news. It's great news. So David's seed. There are challenges in the life of David. And even on his throne, if you've ever read through the minor prophets and gotten to the last page before Matthew... There's a few hundred years gap between the New Testament and the Old Testament, as far as historians tell us. And there's a moment in that very last section of Scripture in the Minor Prophets that the lineage of David seems like it's going to be snuffed out, but God. Somebody ought to take this home today and believe for it this week. That, yeah, it may look terrible, horrible, ugly, and no good, and it's really not fair. But God. Amen? But God. So fast forward to the New Testament and we get a fuller picture painted for us in Romans chapter 11. And the the Apostle Paul says this very clear to the church in Rome. He says, listen, I want to paint you a picture. It's like there's a tree with a great root system in the ground. And the tree is looking okay, but some branches have broken off of it. 
and in their place have been grafted some wild branches <laughs> from some other places, and they've all been growing together into something beautiful and wonderful, and that is what the church is. He's trying to help them not discriminate against the Jewish people and help the Jewish people not discriminate against the Gentiles and let them all be in the family of God. Red, yellow, black, or white. Amen. They're precious in his sight. Um, so Paul uses that imagery of the olive tree to describe how we get grafted in. But here's the bad news. The bad news is the enemy has a progeny. He has his own descendants that have been throughout all of history coming against God's people. And here's the thing. They are not coming against God's people because God's people look different or act different. They are coming against God's people because they are of their father who seeks to destroy anything that looks like God. You say, well, pastor, how does this, I mean, you're kind of elaborating on this. How does this fit into the church? I'm telling you. I hope and I pray that the statement is not true, but I know it to be true in my experience. From time to time in the church of Jesus Christ, there are enemies who are the offspring of the devil who have gotten themselves into, infiltrated into the church and then cause strife, division, animosity, arguments, all sorts of things. And you say, well, no, that's just Sister Betty and she just really wants it that way. I'm telling you there's something deeper going on. Pastor, are you preaching from a bully pulpit today about something going on in the church? No. Thank God. Thank God I'm not. But the seed of the woman, this is what's really cool. We've looked at some of the scripture verses there. Then the seed of the serpent, that's representative throughout scripture. Um, those who follow him become his children. I don't want to uh, take this into a weird place, but uh, the only way that you've become a child of God is because you've chosen to become a child of God and because he's allowed you to be. That's how we reproduce. And then we bring others into the family of God. The seed of the serpent is evident in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and his murder of his brother. Uh, we see Genesis 11, uh, pride, the Tower of Babel, the story where they, are, and you, you could read that story and if you read it too quick during five minutes of a devotional time, you might miss out on the real main point. The problem was pride. I'm going to talk to you in just a moment about some other sins. I've already referenced things like gossip. We'll talk about anger. <laughs> Let me just tell you, you don't have an anger problem, sir. You've got a sin problem. It's getting quiet. It's okay. I can say this because I have that from time to time. And I recognize it's a sin issue. It's not a, oh, I just have this little thing that pops up every once in a No, it's because I chose to be angry. 
I'm just preaching for myself. Okay. Exodus chapter one, the seed of the serpent. Pharaoh is trying to not let people, God's people go. So then God delivers them miraculously. And then John chapter eight is a really interesting place to read. And I'll reference some of that this morning, but John chapter 8, what ends up happening, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees who are proud to say, we're the children of Abraham. And he says, no, you're not. Your daddy is the devil. You say, pastor, that's really casual. Well, you know, Jesus was pretty hardcore and he said, no, 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 you, yeah, just because you've got Abraham's DNA in you doesn't mean he's your father or that my father is your father. The one you're acting like is your father. That's, that's the problem. Look at what he says in John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires I need you to understand this. The people who are infiltrating school districts, libraries that are committing crimes and murders and all of this stuff, when you think about it, you can recognize the fact that their will is to do the will of their father who is the devil. This was not Jesus talking to just some one single solitary demon-possessed individual saying, no, your father is the devil. You really are from the devil. No, he was talking to the entire, whoo, he was talking to the entire religious group. If I were to put it into my context, it would be like him showing up to my state meeting with all the pastors and walking in there and saying, well... Because he'd have to do that in the South. Well, uh, it, it would be like that. And you say, well, the, they're all gone and gotten rid of. No, they're not. They've warmed seats just like you. Look at what he says. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Gossip, lies, these works of the flesh, these are problems. They're only, the only solution to those problems is repentance and forgiveness. And I would add a third, it's the work, it's the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. In the believer's life. Amen. So the apostle John presents Satan as the ruler of the world who works in direct opposition to Jesus. Uh, he says that in John chapter 12, 14, 16. He says it over and over again. Not only does the world hate Jesus, but the world also hates believers. Which are those who follow Jesus. John chapter 15. John chapter 17 again. First John chapter 3. Then Jesus paints a picture in Matthew chapter 13. Which you should just write down this reference. And go and read this parable later today. I'll give you a summary of it. But Jesus paints a picture in a parable. And he says this. An enemy came and sowed weeds among good seed. And Jesus is the one who had sown the good seed, which are identified, listen to me, as the children of the kingdom, the offspring 
of the woman. Amen? And the devil is the enemy who sows the weeds in an effort to sabotage the harvest. The weeds themselves are called, called the sons of the evil one, which would be the seed of the serpent, here again, all the way from Genesis 3, still working. And the weeds are so intermingled with the wheat, they must grow together until judgment when God weeds them out. The sons of the evil one cause sin, it says in that parable, a phrase which talks about people leading others into sin. See, Satan is tireless in his efforts to perpetuate his offspring. He has one goal in mind. When I call him the enemy, and that's how I usually refer to him, you can call him the devil, Satan, whatever. We can talk about old ancient languages and all that stuff. The one who stands in opposition to God is still trying to dethrone him, dethrone his people, to eradicate them, to remove the power of the redemption of the cross. But I'm telling you, the church must stand and say no. Amen? So he's tireless in his attempts to continue to be the enemy of God. And there's no... Listen to me when I say this. Redemption was offered for humanity alone. There is no redemption for the original rebel. There will not be. He cannot have a change of heart. There will not be redemption for him. There will only be punishment. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. The apostle, I love how he writes. Um, when he writes his letters uh, that we have in scripture at least. Uh, he uses, uh, he uses uh, sweet phrases uh, like this in verse 7. He says, little children... And, you know, if I was reading that with a Northeastern mindset, which is how I used to read the Bible, um, I'd be like, wow, okay, he's really calling them out. Like, hey, kids, kids, come here, okay? That's not what he's doing. He literally, he was, we also call him the apostle of love. He literally, from a heart of love, is calling those who follow Christ little children and says this, kids, don't let anyone deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Verse 8 says this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning. You better read that by yourself. (laughs) Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. At least in that moment. When you behave as such. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, he continues on. No one that's born of God makes a practice of sinning. I'm telling you, John must have read Genesis chapter 3 because of what he says here. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Verse 10 says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Gossip, lies, and a lack of love, lacking love, demonstrates that we are not walking and living in righteousness. So here's something that we should consider. And this is, this is what I want you to understand. You may have watched movies. Uh, the Twilight movies were a big deal a couple years back. That's going, that's probably dating me. Uh, I say a couple years is like a dozen. Uh, you know, we entertain ourselves sometimes with things that are of the darkness. I'll put it to you like this. I want you to be careful though. To not just think that it's witches gathered somewhere in Massachusetts in the woods who are the children of the devil. But I want you to balance it by understanding the spouse that you've been married to for 20 years is not the devil. Okay? So you can't have either extreme of, well, yeah, the man I'm married to, you know, or whatever. No, we can't do that. But we also can't just imagine that they're far out there. You say, well, yeah, you know what? My neighbor's been out late at night, and I think I saw a fire in their back. It's not about hocus-pocus weird stuff. I'm telling you, you work with children of the devil. I've pastored children of the devil. There have been moments that I thought children in my house were children of the... (laughs) Took it too far. Okay. I've only got one in here. I've only got one in here today. Okay. Don't tell her I said that. It, it, it's got to be the other one. We're in, we're in hot water. Am I turning red? I feel like I am. Okay. In Revelation chapter 12, listen, let me finish up. In Revelation chapter 12, a woman clothed with the sun gives birth, clothed with the sun gives birth to a son, the Messiah, and the dragon seeks to eliminate him. The dragon, the devil, the serpent of old, tried to bring a stop to God's redemptive plan, but look at verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. He's coming, he's gunning for you and I. He's seeking who he can devour. Um... Sir, he's probably put an attractive woman in your workplace. It's going to get quiet for a second. Ladies, reading those romance novels, that'll get you in trouble too, okay? It's not like the romance novels. Life is just not like that. We can't get sidetracked in either direction. The appeal is there in the mind of a woman for certain things. And the appeal is there or the appetite is there in the minds of a man. And I'm telling you, it's not just about some sort of deviant behavior. It's not that the devil reveals his ugly nature and just shows everything at you at once. He often comes in something that he thinks that you'll like. Maybe you find commonality because you both don't like so-and-so. So then you start talking together about so-and-so. And then you think that that's no big deal. Well, the enemy actually got what we call, we used to call a foothold. We got to get rid of those weak spots where he can climb up walls in our life. 
We've got to get rid of that sort of stuff. We're not talking about just crazy things like murder. We're talking about the little things that sidetrack. I have a friend, I've told you about him before. He got off of social media, doesn't have common apps that everybody else does. Thank God he has an iPhone though, so I have blue texts with him, not green. That's just for you iPhone people, because I know the Android people come to me after asking for prayer. But... um, (laughs) Anyway, he's um, he's a great friend of mine, and here's what he said. He said, "You know what? It wasn't all bad. I didn't have. It's not like I had like attractive women from my past trying to reach out, trying to get me to cheat on my wife or anything like that. It just wasted all of my time." And I thought, "Well, good for you, buddy. I'm gonna download the newest app, you know." But here's the thing: the enemy is there. He's present. He can't be omnipresent everywhere, so he's got his little minions working out the details of his plan through media, through apps. I'm telling you, it's a dangerous world. You think it's dangerous for your kid or your grandkid? It's a dangerous world for a believer. And let me say this, the Christian mind is a terrible thing to waste. I've been convicted about wasting my time and allowing my mind to just fry on Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Here's the thing. The enemy is real and he's been off trying to get all of her offspring. So, the offspring of the enemy, let me describe them to you. I've already given you a couple different things, but they're sick with pride. If you know somebody that's got an issue with pride... You need to pray for them, and you need to help them be light in their life. They are people who are self-seeking. They are people who hate the truth. The Bible, this, I'm telling you, all of these phrases are from the Bible. They are impure. The Bible says they dishonor their bodies. They've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve creatures and not the creator. You say, well, pastor, are you talking about those people who've like chained themselves to a tree in the Peruvian rainforest? Is there anything wrong with being a good steward of God's environment? No. In fact, there are some people in here who have tried to encourage me to recycle. You know what bugs me though is here in Clinton, the people, they're no special truck for this recycling. You know it's the same garbage truck. And you know they're putting garbage in there too. And all of it's commingled. There are problems with that whole system, okay? The people trying to save the whales but keep all the laws on the books to murder babies. They're believing lies. They're worshiping creatures. They're shameless in their sin. And I don't know if you've realized this, but it seems like they're getting bolder. Romans chapter 1, verse 29 to 31 says this. This is about those who are the children, the offspring, the seed of the serpent. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice, like bad intentions, They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, 
haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. They invent new ways to commit evil. They're, they're inventors of evil. They're, uh, what? How'd they throw this in there, Brighton? They are disobedient to parents. Lord bless every pastor's child in all of history. Uh, they're disobedient to parents. They are foolish. They are faithless. They are heartless. They are ruthless. Going back to the media thing, I'm telling you, today is not just about the seed of the serpent. It's about the victory of the church that can be if you'll shut him out and shut him up and cut off his descendants. If you'll cut off his offspring and remove those things, because here's the problem with the media stuff going to that. My wife and I made very conscious decisions, and we still do, about the things that we allow our children to be entertained with. There's some dumb show where the kid always disobeys his parents and then it just kind of gets skirted off to the side as, oh, he's kind of cute. He's kind of silly. No, we're not letting my kid watch that. She can be disobedient all by herself without trying to figure out how Max or whatever his name is did it and committed the crime. Say, pastor, you seem pretty serious about that. Yes, because I want my children that came from my lineage. To be children of God. You say, well, why do you talk about lies with kids and the, the earnest truth and what that means to live truth? Why do we do that when they're children? And then we, grandparents, you have to refresh their memory sometimes. And uh, listen, grandparents, don't be telling the grandkid to lie. Don't tell mommy we had this ice cream. It's not a good practice. Just be who you're going to be. Be rebellious, but don't be a liar. We want them. <laughs> we want them to be obedient to the truth. We want, and you know what? Our society will be better. It'd actually be a whole lot better if a bunch of parents didn't let their kids watch that dumb show. Uh, so here's, here's what I'm getting at. The works that are present. This is not me telling you, you've got the problem with envy. You've got the problem with gossip slander. The Holy Spirit can do that all on his own. I'm just telling you how to recognize what a child and offspring of the enemy looks like. Look at this second to last passage. Galatians 5. Look at verse 19. And we'll go through it really quick. I won't really break it down. It's pretty self-explanatory. Verse 19 says this. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. You say, well, that's, I don't have any carvings, any wooden statues in my house. We do have idols in our lives. In, in fact, we have people who call themselves Christians, but serve an idol called sports. It doesn't happen in this church. I'm just telling you, give you a warning for others. You know, my kid has a so-and-so, so I can't commit. Listen, we get it. Time to time, things happen. We understand. But I'm telling you, there are idols in our lives. And your kid's not going to the World Cup. He's not going to be in the NBA. I'm so sorry. That could be the Holy Spirit. It could have been Dexter. I think it's mixed, okay? Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to listen and understand this. The only person who can inherit the things that I own is a person that I have deemed an inheritor. The one who can receive will be my offspring, the ones left behind. God, through the Apostle Paul to the church in the Galatian church, he is saying, you will not be the offspring of the woman. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you participate in these things. So it's real, this enmity. It's tangible. The conflict will not be resolved until that final day when God ends it once for all. But the survival of the seed is of the utmost importance. And God will ensure the righteous survive. That's why it doesn't matter if you get bogged down arguing with people about a rapture and a this and a tribulation and a when it's going to happen. I don't care. God's got me. You say, Pastor, that's awfully bold. It's better said than done. (laughs) I don't really want to be here having to suffer through it. But he's always had a remnant. And his remnant on the earth today is you. It's you. That's good. And it's people like you who join together in the fellowship of faith that we call church that make this thing happen. God's people have always found ways to worship Him and to worship together and to serve one another. Look at this last passage, Hebrews 10, verse 23. I, um, I'm, I've told you this before, but if you've forgotten, I'll tell you. Um, I was involved in a uh, teen, I guess you would call it, what would you call Bible quiz? Competition, a competitive academic sport with the Bible. <laughs> we were in something called Bible quiz uh, when I was a teenager, and we were challenged to memorize God's word. It's wonderful. Took up a lot of time, and I remember specifically my favorite season that we ever had. And it was like a competing thing, and you had buzzers, and you had to click in, and you went before like audiences and all that kind of stuff, judges. And um, I remember being part of a really large church in uh, Pennsylvania, and we traveled uh, quite a bit and did this. And my favorite season ever was when we did the book of Hebrews. I I ended up memorizing the entire book. Don't ask me to quote it now. (laughs) I memorized it for what I needed to memorize it for. But I'm telling you, God's word will not return void. It keeps coming to me. It'll come in the mo- in the moment of just least expecting it. I'll hear a phrase in a worship song and I'll be like, oh, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Oh, wait, that's Hebrews. You should try memorizing God's word. Maybe that was the Holy Spirit for you today. I love the book of Hebrews, though. It's really one of my favorite books of the Bible. Verse 23 says this in chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without going off course, without wavering. For he, 
who promised is faithful. He will not fail. Amen. Verse 24 says this. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. I love sports. Let me just make sure I say that out loud. If you've ever been to a football game with me, I'm one of the loudest people there. I love sports. But we've made decisions in our own family. Maybe it's just a pastor thing and I should shut up. But we made decisions in our own family That if our kids are involved in something, it is few and far in between that we allow a commitment on a Sunday. Well, that's old school. You're not in the modern day. I'm telling you this because, Bo, you're going to have kids someday. Because, who's Ava, you're going to have kids someday. Okay? The kids in this room, she's like, no, I'm not. Listen, (laughs) you're going to have children someday. And if all you ever focused on was stuff that drew you away from the faith and you didn't have your feet planted firmly, you'll never raise kids that want the faith and walk in the faith. This is why we harp on it. I had a very hard time in the last secular job of employment that I had because I made an agreement. I've made it with every employer Every employer, even when I wasn't in full-time ministry, and said, I will not work Sundays. If an emergency happens, the place is burning down, I'll show up. If so-and-so, you know, is in a car wreck and nobody can open the door, I'll show up. I'm not saying that, but I'm telling you, I won't work on Sundays. I won't do it. And I've had successful employment all my life. You have to take a stand. Why, why is that important, Pastor? Well, because God says something about the Sabbath and keeping it holy. We can get into that some other day. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. If we were keepers of the Sabbath, we would be honoring God by getting together and not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some. But encourage one another. And why is it important to do this? Because the day is drawing near. Jesus is coming back. The enemy and his seed will one day completely be defeated and punished and never rise again. Never be another challenge to the people of God. And I look for that day. But the seed of the woman, I have good news for you. The seed of the woman is eternal in nature. Amen? And this, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus who died in order to save you from your sin and to redeem your wickedness and turn it into righteousness, that, that man, that God, he chose to build the church so that we could fellowship together, encourage one another, pray for one another, learn from one another, be corrected by one another, grow in our faith together. There's more than 30 one another phrases in the New Testament 
that you have to have somebody else to do. Like you, ha- you can't love one another if there's only you, right? You can't be kind to one another if there's only just you. The seed of the woman is eternal. He is still alive and he is well. He will never die. He will outlast the seed of the serpent and will one day defeat all of the offspring of the serpent. If you're part of the church of Jesus Christ, then you will live forever and reign with him too. I don't know what hits you like an arrow to the heart today. But I trust that the Holy Spirit has moved on some of us. Maybe there are areas of our life that need cleansing. Maybe we were like, whoo, I didn't know I'd find myself in that list. But you did. Today's a day where you repent and you say, God, I'm so sorry I've been doing this. Forgive me. Help me to walk in righteousness in this area, whether it's an attitude issue, a life thing, a purity issue, a mental thing, emotional, whatever it is. But also it's a time for us to commit ourselves to say, yes, Lord, thank you for putting me in the church. Help me to be not just a survivor, but a thriver as the offspring of the woman. If you need prayer for any reason, would you step out today during this song that the worship sing leads us in? Step out to one of these lovely couples or groups. Um, go over, just mention to them what you need prayer for. They will pray for you. They won't uh, criticize you. They won't talk about you. They won't gossip. They won't do any of that. They'll just go to God with you today, one another, and pray for you. Whatever it is, if you're sick in body, you know somebody that needs healing, if you have issues in your own life, or even if you want them to help you pray a prayer of repentance. Father, I pray today over Celebrate Church. God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you came. That Genesis chapter 3, in the moment of a curse, there's a blessing for me, God. I thank you, Lord, that you came and committed yourself and obeyed even to the point of death. But Lord, that you left family members behind who joined together on a regular basis and we call it the church. Lord, I'm thankful for the church today. God, I pray that you would help us to live up to the high calling in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would minister to every heart, anyone who steps out for prayer today. I pray that you would minister and meet their need in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.